Welcome to this episode of Moments in Leadership. Real quick before I read the bio for Sergeant Major Ruiz, I need to alert the regular listeners that this episode required a few things to be done differently in order to accommodate the timing of different CompStrat efforts leading up to his congressional testimony later this month. The intent of this podcast has always been to provide emerging leaders with an opportunity to learn about the lessons learned by senior experienced leaders across all the services, enlisted and officers. This episode focuses more on topics that are likely to be discussed on Capitol Hill, so I asked for permission to go over some of what I thought would be likely topics he would be asked by congressional leaders in testimony, rather than just dive into his incredible experiences coming up through the ranks. I will be able to have him back on and recalibrate an interview into a more traditional format, but I just wanted everyone listening to know that we intentionally made this a little bit different. The other thing I wanted to do is apologize in advance because my unofficial contract with people who support me on the Supercast channel is that I release episodes to them roughly one week before they drop to the general public. Because I want to accommodate the flow of information coming out of his Comstrat team, I'm unable to fulfill that contract on this episode. I suspect everybody who supports the effort is going to understand this, but I didn't want to sweep it under the rug, and I just want to be transparent and answer that question in advance before it comes up. Okay, so do a quick personal thank you to new Supercast supporters. I've got Joshua Yancey at the Hot Wash level and Zane Jones at the Buy Me a Beer level. Thank you so much for supporting this project. really means a lot to me that other people are chipping in to help make this as good as it can be. For any new listeners to this project or for those who haven't listened to an episode in a while, one of the things that I'm really grateful for is the people who support this project financially with their subscriptions on my Supercast account. As I've said before, this project does have a per episode cost associated for things like you know, editing and shipping a professional quality microphone to guests and sound engineering, hosting and things like that. And the people who support this project through their subscriptions are helping me defray those costs. And I appreciate it. My contract with everybody, and I want to be completely transparent about this, is that any profits left over after all of my expenses are covered at the end of the year, I will donate those profits to veterans organizations. Last year, even though I ran a loss, I still made what I feel are pretty significant financial contributions to Patrol Base Abate, the Station Foundation, and the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation. Please see the links in my show notes or the link in my Instagram account bio if you're inclined to help or want to learn more. There are options for one-time donations and subscriptions too. Of course, these episodes will always be free and available to everyone. There is never any such thing as exclusive content, and your support goes towards keeping this going, and it keeps it free for leaders of all ranks. Okay, with that, this episode is with the 20th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Carlos Ruiz. The short version of his bio is, well, he's the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, but his official bio is that he assumed his current post as the 20th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps on August 10th, 2023. A native of Sonoro, Mexico, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps on November 2nd, 1993 out of Buckeye, Arizona. He graduated from recruit training at MCRD San Diego in January of 1994 and reported to Marine Combat Training at Camp Pendleton, California shortly thereafter. He was then assigned supply warehouse clerk as his primary military occupational specialty. In May of 1994, Sergeant Major Ruiz reported to Supply Company, 3rd Supply Battalion, 3rd Force Service Support Group, or FSSG, in Okinawa, Japan. In May of 1996, he received orders to Marine Corps Logistics Base, Barstow, California, and served as a supply warehouse clerk until October of 1998, when he reported to recruiting school at MCRD San Diego. Upon graduation, he was assigned to Recruiting Station Los Angeles, 12th Marine Corps District. In October of 2001, Sergeant Major Ruiz reported to Supply Company, 
1st Supply Battalion, 1st FSSG. And then in January of 2003, he deployed to Al Anbar Province, Iraq with Equipment Reception Platoon and later with Combat Service Support Group 12 in support of Iraqi freedom. In April of 2004, Sergeant Major Ruiz reported to Drill Instructor School at MCRD San Diego, orders he requested, and then graduated in September of 2004 with Class 4 TAC 04 as the Class Honor Graduate and recipient of the Leadership Award. He was assigned to Company L, 3rd Recruit Training Battalion, and in October of 2006, Sergeant Major Ruiz was transferred to the Instructor Staff, Drill Instructor School, MCRD San Diego. During this period, he held the billets of Drill Master, Physical Training Instructor, and later the school's chief instructor. In April of 2008, he reported to Supply Company, Combat Service Support Group 15. He served as Company Gunnery Sergeant until February 2009, when he reported to Company L, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marine Regiment, to serve as the Company First Sergeant. He subsequently deployed to Helmand Province, Afghanistan, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Following the end of his tour, Sergeant Major Ruiz was reassigned to Headquarters and Service Company and completed a second tour in Afghanistan. In June of 2012, Sergeant Major Ruiz received orders to Inspector Instructor Staff, Sacramento, California, to serve as the Inspector Instructor First Sergeant. In September of 2013, Upon his selection as Sergeant Major, he received orders to 3rd Battalion, 5th Marine Regiment, Ura Getsum. He served as the Battalion Landing Team Sergeant Major, 31st Marine Expeditionary Unit, and as the Battalion Sergeant Major for Unit Deployment Program 16.1. In May of 2016, Sergeant Major Ruiz received orders to 1st Combat Engineer Battalion and in December of 2016 was reassigned to Combat Logistics Regiment 17, 1st Marine Logistics Group. On December 7, 2018, Sergeant Major Ruiz was assigned as the 4th Marine Logistics Group Sergeant Major out of New Orleans, Louisiana. In February of 2021, Sergeant Major Ruiz assumed the duties U.S. Marine Corps Forces Reserve Sergeant Major. In May of 2021, the Commander of Marine Forces Reserve assumed all authorities and responsibilities of U.S. Marine Corps Forces South. As the result of the transfer of authority, Sergeant Major Ruiz served as both the MARFOR Res and the MARFOR South Command Senior Enlisted Leader. Sergeant Major Ruiz's personal awards include the Legion of Merit with a Gold Star, the Bronze Star Medal with a Combat Distinguishing Device, the Meritorious Service Medal with a Gold Star, Navy Marine Corps Commendation Medal with two gold stars, Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal with one gold star, and the Combat Action Ribbon with one gold star. He has earned a bachelor's degree in organizational management from the University of Arizona Global Campus. And with that... Welcome, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Carlos Ruiz. Thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate the time today. In fact, you are the first person to interview here and do a podcast in my global headquarters here located in Alexandria, Virginia. Probably heard this through Master Sergeant Fuentes, who's done a great job of, of getting this whole thing set up for us. But we put some questions out to the Marines, and there were a ton of questions that didn't make the cut. I could show you them later if you want. Okay. But just so I, <laughs> you know, get over your budget. Right, right, exactly. There were the obvious ones, right? Barracks, things like that. Too. I, what do I put in my hair? Got it. Right, right. Suavecitos, by right, the way. Yes, The green exactly. can. I just, I figured it would be a great question to ask you about the hair, but you've already answered it because as, as two older men with great hair, you know, I have <laughs> hair challenges too. So I use a little uh, fix your lid in my, uh, ah. yeah, that's how I get to stand up in the front. You use a blow dryer? No, I don't. I just towel dry it and I kind of, you know, fluff it in and I do what my 
hairdresser. God, it's just terrible look at, looking at you in the face and using the word hairdresser you at the same time. You just said hairdresser. You <laughs> caught yourself. <laughs> I'll do push-ups later, I promise. So. I pay $11 with $2 tips. Yes, I know. I, yeah, I'm a little bit more dainty now that I'm that I'm out. So that's okay. But uh, you know it, that it, that does actually lead us up into a first question. Somebody by the name of Lieutenant General Bellin had a question. You wanted to know <laughs> if you could uh, tell everybody how you got your nickname Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know if if the statute of limitations is over <laughs> with yet. <laughs> but I was I was a recruiter out of out of Hollywood. RS, S, RS, Culver City, PCS, Hollywood, 1998 to 2001. And for, and for about a year and a half, I was alone and unafraid on the corner of La Brea and Sunset. Okay. Like, that was my, I said, wow. I said, I'm literally a block away from Hollywood. It was characters constantly flowing through the recruiting office. Fast forward to Iraq and being deployed to Iraq, and I was uh, part of the advance team to bring in uh, the equipment off the ships. And so I became known as the person that could get things. They didn't know that I was that was my job, but to them it's like this guy. And as people got to know me, they, they would ask questions. What was your last duty station? Well, well you know, just a few months ago I was in Hollywood. Right. So that became a thing. And to the point where I wrote, if you remember the Kevlar's back then, you used to they used just that leather, the that, leather like, band, just like right. the headache smells maker. delicious. You were like the thousand person <laughs> to wear that. Thing. Did you ever see a new one ever? I saw one once, and you know the new ones, they're not. We're really talking to some old people here, yeah. but like. There's, they had the folds in yes. them that hadn't quite softened up yet. Yeah. It was almost worse to have a new one than an old one. Yes, yeah. sir. And so I remember uh, having found or someone sent me that padding that looked like a toilet bowl covering thing. The foam the with foam. Like the holes in it. That's yeah, right. You put it in the top. That's yeah. right. So properly marking my Kevlar, instead of putting my last name, I put Hollywood on it. So everywhere I went and I put my Kevlar down, it was Hollywood. So that's how... I was the man who could get things. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great. <laughs> what things I could get? I don't know. Trams, uh, right? You know the the MP motorcycles, uh, everything that came off the ship. You would not believe. Wow, what was inside those? It's cages. like that scene out of uh, Band of Brothers where they steal the motorcycle. That's and, right. Uh, right. <laughs> like I was literally. <laughs> I guess I had a test drive them, of course, before I right. You know, passed them on to right. The US I mean, look, I, I'm sure it was all above board, or you wouldn't be Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps, absolutely, right? Absolutely, sir. <laughs> I mean, That's, Dave. Right. Right. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. I am. I am out now. So, I, I, we just jump right into it. I know you've got. You've got your first congressional testimony coming up, right? And that's that's a new, I mean, geez, I don't know if any sergeant major job before that has prepared you for that. So I know you'll probably get a lot of these questions. I, I hope you get a lot of the questions that I have for you that the Marines had that came in over Instagram for us. Everybody wants to know, okay, here's here's the one that everybody really wants to know about. It's the leather belts and the and the unit patches up, but we'll get there. Yeah. Okay, we'll get, yeah. get there sign, right? Yeah. But here's the big one, and you know it. You already know what it is. It's the barracks. And I don't live in the barracks. I haven't seen the barracks in a long time. I can't imagine they're any better than they were when I was, they could even be worse. It seems like there's a problem there. And, you know, I acknowledge 
what a large scale problem the barracks are. Maybe you could take some time to describe to leaders listening, you know, how large scale it really is. And, and I'll, of course, have some follow up questions. But, you know, a problem this broad takes resources and time to address comprehensively. And, you know, of course, the Marine Corps could just drop everything, right, and just get after the barracks. But we have other lethality and modernization requirements that have to be balanced because we have to vanquish our nation's enemies, right? I mean, that's just that's just kind yeah. of it. So maybe just dive right in with the barracks. Yeah, so I've been on the seat like five months. You know, most of the stuff on my desk has to do with quality of life. And I don't think that just be, that's just because it's the sergeant major's job to deal with quality of life. That's everyone's job. Much like discipline is right. not the sergeant major's. Much like discipline is not just the first sergeant, sergeant major job, everyone's job. Right. Quality of life seems to be the thing, like, sergeant major, you are in charge of quality of life. I said, uh, okay. And what I found has been that in the short five months is that in Congress, in the Pentagon, there are people that care deeply about wanting to do the right thing. So I've never walked into a place where people are not or are purposely saying, don't worry about that. It's just complicated. And I think part of my job is, I know part of my job is, is to bring light to the room, realities of a young Marine today in the barracks. Right. That it's not okay. That it's not okay for a Marine to come home because that's their home and have mold or the temperature is 98 degrees. You know, someone sent me a DM with a picture of them holding the temperature gauge in their room at 22.15. So it should be cool by then, but in their room was 98 degrees. Yeah. Right? So it's no longer, it never has been, and it should not be uh, okay to allow our Marines to live in places like that. What is the Marine Corps doing well they have like you mentioned there's choices to be made and i'm not saying that the the leaders before me made the wrong choice absolutely not uh, what i'm saying is is that this is the time to invest in all things human beings and that means that we listen and we with our own eyes take a look at where marines are living today there is a plan and it and we call it barracks 2030 where the commandant who's very it's one of his top five legislative priorities, and quality of life is like number three, which has probably never been the case ever. And so he wants to invest heavily, heavily in all things quality of life. So a billion a year for the next whatever years until we get up and running. But that means, Dave, that crappy barracks that are there today, we got to knock them down. And I said, I want to be in the bulldozer that puts a blade right through like the first one we knocked down because we're spending money on keeping those barracks up when we should be knocking them down and refurbishing new ones. And I've seen refurbished ones like mm -hmm. in Lejeune. They're very nice, but we can only do so many a year because there's right. always so much money to go around. So I'm trying to, and every other service senior enlisted is trying to, is this is a service problem. Okay. Then we must make hard decisions on what doesn't get built programs, platforms, maybe one less F-35 I don't know. Or is this a DOD issue where you provide the services with the funding separate and distinct to okay. get after, right? So I don't know what the right way forward is. There's, there's a lot of money involved, and we're talking billions. Yeah. Because it's 20, 30 years of not investing, right? And there's a promise that was made, right? There was a promise 
that is made that's being made this morning when the recruiter's telling a young applicant or their parents or their parents like look we got you like when they get in here they're going to have a place to sleep and it's going to be safe and they'll be rested so they can execute a live fire range the next day or fix the f-35 engine or whatever it is it is basic human rights Mm -hmm. it is dignity it is a home so we don't blink an eye to buy things and platforms it's time not to blink an eye and invest in, in our people. I read that last fiscal year, the Marine Corps renovated 14 barracks at the cost of about $14 million per barracks, which impacted the quality of life for around, let's just call it 4,500 Marines, right? So let's call that a total of $200 million impacting roughly 2.5% of the unaccompanied housing inventory. So, you know, I, I just heard you say that there's, you know, barracks plan 23. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. Got it. But what can the NCOs and the company grade officers do right now as the boots on the ground leader to help? Is there, is there anything? Is there, is there something that you've seen that you can tell them like, hey, we're working on this, but here's how you can help us too? Absolutely. And it's, and it's going to sound, it's going to sound callous, uh, what I'm about to say, but, but what you have is what you have, mm-hmm. right? And there are locations Wherever you are, there are locations where there are nicer barracks than probably the barracks that your Marines are at today. Mm-hmm. So do we double them up? Do we triple them up depending on square space? Yeah. Because that barracks is nicer and it may be 20 minutes away. So that means that you may start to have to invest in transportation, moving the Marines out of the crappy barracks, moving into a nicer barracks, invest in the transportation. How do you get them back and forth? It's going to get complicated. Right. Right, because where are the barracks? I mean, mm-hmm. where are the mess halls, right? And so that's you know that's another topic there for 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 later. But you have to keep what you have clean. My last job with General Bellin, it is traveling all over Latin America, and and in my face was they have a naval infantry or they may have a Marine Corps, and everywhere we went is immaculate. They have what they have, and they take care of what they have. They may have, they they do have, in some cases, barracks, squad bays that are older than ours, but you would know it. You would know it because mm-hmm. it's the way, because that's what they have, right? So a Marine that's listening to me right now is like, well, that's not good enough, and I agree with you, right? It's not good enough. Will you, in certain places as a Marine, ever see a brand-new barracks get built in your contract? I hope so. That's what we want. We're committing to you. I am telling you that this commandant will put the money into infrastructure. He will. DOD will. It's just that time. Uh, if you just, it hurts my soul to say it, if you just hang on long enough, maybe you'll see it. Right. I know you'll see it. You may be, you know, that's a nice barracks that's going up right now. I'm, you know, I'm a corporal now and I'm probably not ever going to stay there. Uh, but at least the Marines that I'm leading will. Right. Right. So... We're not going to get there overnight, and we're refurbishing as fast as we can. Um, and we're asking Congress for more funding to refurbish another 13 barracks. And I will show quickly in, in, in a few days what the future looks like, meaning I will go to a barracks that is new, and I will show the Marines this is the sample of a barracks that so they can see that it's coming. Right. It's not an answer, Dave, but. it. Is, well, no. I mean, it's a statement. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is because you're absolutely right. And Marines were getting out and are tired of the barracks. Let's just say that the number one reason that a 
great Marine that we want to retain gets out. He's like, because I can't stand the way I live. All right. Assume that that Marine goes on to some other life, college, whatever it is. There is always going to be, I'm using my air quotes, barracks envy, right? I mean, I'm 56 years old. I'm really, I'm 35, but (laughs) my hair is 35. my, My age is 56. And and I have where I live envy. Yeah. I mean, I look at people across the street from like their house is nicer than mine. So, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that envy. You go to college, you're going to have dorm envy. There's dorms that have been around for 30 years. And then the, the dorms that got made last year. And some people are in the shitty dorms and some people are in the great dorms. I mean, there's always going to be that. But I hear you say, and I think, I think the important thing there is there's a plan. And I know you're going to talk more about it in a couple of days, but just a quick follow-up question, but how do you deal with the understandable cynicism and skepticism from the Marines when this barracks thing becomes the hammer that they want to use to beat on the service at every opportunity? And, and how do leaders at all levels out in the fleet explain that in a way that is not an excuse or breaks faith with the Marines? Yeah, it's, it's undefendable. Mm-hmm. So when something is you can't defend it, then don't. And so I'm not in the business of defending the institution yeah. when we're wrong. Right, so we haven't invested because we've made hard decisions in order to have things and platforms for you to go win and make it an unfair fight and mm-hmm. you to come home. Right. Right. That that's what we made our choices with. And so the threat continues to to evolve and we continue to invest in new platforms. So we are ready to go and it does become an unfair fight. But I think we can do both, right? Mm-hmm. And so when, when the institution has an issue that's not defendable, then don't defend it. Instead, instead, it has been in my brain for a long time that you push the institution forward. So that may, that may be that we, we eat a little humble pie, whatever pie reference you want to use, yeah. but you, you use the compelling evidence. The environment is telling us that this is the time invest in our marines don't defend it push it forward so to the marines who you know i don't know yesterday two days ago i saw pictures come out of a a location where the barracks is not like it needs to be so marines take pictures and then they send it somewhere right right and it gets picked up by somebody and then it's a story and so when i look at the barracks in that specific situation where the pictures did not deem it livable when i look at it through my lens of a sergeant major eyeballs, that's not a barracks that's that's fallen apart. That's an that's an unkept barracks. Yeah. That is a barracks that Marines walk by and walk through their spaces who refuse to take a, a broom and a mop and clean that barracks up. Right. Like that's that's there's a difference there of in professionalism and conduct. But when you know, when the windows are always broken, then maybe you don't pick up anything because everything else looks like crap. What comes to mind is a when I was in New Orleans, I walked out of Walmart one day and I saw uh, this woman have her shopping cart full of her things and she was putting stuff into her trunk. And all of the Walmart parking lot was filled with trash. And this, this, this lady uh, was taking the things off the bags and throwing them in her trunk. And in the bags, she was just tossing them on the deck. And I just, yeah. I couldn't understand why you would, why somebody would do that. And it was just, it was just in the back of my mind constantly. Why would somebody just, like, no care in the world, just throw it onto the, to the deck? 
and then someone told me it's like that that's what you it's a way to rebel and right. it's a control mm-hmm. i can control me throwing this on the thing it's just like everything else around me is crap yeah so i'll just keep this that is so far away from what our marines deserve and if you're talking about recruiting talent and keeping talent we better hurry up and we better start now in investing in all of these things so we can compete with the civilian sector we can compete for talent anytime you use the word poverty Anytime you use the word to describe pay, to describe right. food insecurity, food, right? right? Food. Yeah. It doesn't go well for recruiting and retention. But I say all that because that's on our worst day. As I speak, we're like at 95% close, closing in on the first term retention, three months in. And so I say that because I can build Marines at Taj Mahal, like the most beautiful condos, everything that they could ever want. And the command climate is garbage and toxic, they'll leave. But if the leadership is right, if the Marines are transparent and humble and proficient and confident and all the things that make somebody great, if that's good, they will withstand crappy barracks, right? And they will stay. And we don't ask for much. It's like, washers and dryers work, check. Decent furniture that's not 30, 40 years old, check. The mattress that you are plopping onto, 200 other Marines have not been on that mattress, right? right? Mm-hmm. So we're not asking for much. That is a room temperature controlled and it's safe. And so it's, that's not hard. We need to get there quickly. Kind of shifting gears a little bit into the next question, but I, I think your advocacy of use and your pursuit of, again, my air quotes for listeners, the conversation with Marines on social media is is really notable, especially relative to other senior leaders. So I'm curious where your approach to social media came from and what have you learned both good and bad on that? I mean, how do you see it as a helpful tool for other leaders? Because I've seen some great leaders on social media and maybe you can share some of the things that you think could also be pitfalls or more specifically examples of inept usage that undermines them as leaders. Yeah, it was an evolution because I, like you, have great hair, but you're older. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes i'm uh, sorry the last sergeant major i couldn't make hair jokes with that's so. true that's true <laughs> for me i it was you know for a period of two years is look at this thing mm-hmm. right it's, it's pretty cool like you can find your friends you can do this you can do that and then it became a don't be on social media it's nothing good there's nothing good that comes from it move on your Marines in front of you in a formation is what's the most important, the only thing. And then it became, for me, with General Bellin. He's not, he's just, he's a lot older than me. And and you too, Dave. Yeah, he is actually, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if he's going to, if he's going to try to find a place to communicate to Marines, then who am I to say no? Right. Like, no. So, you know, when you have somebody like that who says, I'll jump in with you, right? And then we'll figure this out as we move. If that's where Marines are, then that's where we should go. And COVID happened and and we needed to find a way to communicate to reserve Marines mm-hmm. spread throughout. Spread all the, over. You can't put them in formation. You can't do this. So we used social media to speak to them, to tell them what's coming and what you should do. These are your choices. This is what, this is where we are. 
and I found that there was a moment where Marines, their questions were so professional, cared so deeply about what was happening. So it started clicking for me that this can be a, a thing for good. Right. And then I realized that just like in a face-to-face formation on social media, a young Marine, a Marine can tell when you're fake or when you're real. Except the difference is now in the old days, they used to think it. Now they say it. Now they say it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which is a benefit to us because now you actually, you hear what they're thinking. I never knew what my Marines were thinking. Yes, right. So that person in front of me is pretending to be somebody that they're not. And I can tell. I'm not going to say anything, but it's the same way that I found in social media. The people that I've started following or started listening to is because I could tell that they were being their genuine selves. They really cared about right what the product that they were it was mostly about coaching and mentoring and knowledge based and this is how you do this is how you do your gear this is how you do yeah and so when i started seeing all the goodness of serious marines trying to communicate and mentor and coach and marines who may not be getting that from their own leadership have a place to go to find that right, right. we're giving it to them from somewhere i thought that was pretty awesome to the other side of the coin. Anytime I see Marines in uniform doing, you know, I'm doing air quotes, silly things or following a trend or you have our uniform on. It's gut-wrenching to me, maybe because I'm institutionalized, Mr. Dufresne, right? I don't know that, that, that it ages well, right? And if you wear Corporal Chevron's, you know, Sergeant Major Black talked about it. From the moment you hit the yellow footprints, we're talking to you like you're a leader, like we're developing you into a leader. But especially when you have NCO Chevrons and staff NCO Chevrons and you are wearing a uniform and you are doing things that you know deep inside of you that are not promoting our values, what we bring to the American people. And you know it. But that little other thing about me is creeping in and taking over that uniform part. And it's more about maybe you're you're looking to connect. Maybe you're looking for love, appreciation in a different way, right? Yeah, attention. Attention. So for that few moment, you feel good doing what you're doing. And then you feel good for the next 24 hours seeing the numbers climb because of what you did. I'm happy that you felt good, but... It won't age well for you or your junior Marines, I think, as you develop into a more serious person. And so I don't know that I have ever seen a PLA or Chinese social media of their Marines, you know, our near peers or any other any other uniforms that tries to do harm on us doing those kind of things. Yeah. So when they see it, what we're doing in a uniform, in a TikTok or whatever, what do they think? Does that strike fear in their soul? Or do they start thinking, maybe they're not that serious about their profession. Right. Maybe we can take them. And that's the last thing I want. Me too. Is for someone to think, oh, they've lost focus. Now, they don't know that that same Marine is probably closing in on range 400 and putting a round in somebody's head. Right. Right. So that's still happening. But I don't want ever someone to think that we're not in a serious business. I think that's great advice. I find that I'm a heavy user of social media just because that's how I promote this. So I probably inappropriately on it every single day. I, I take some portion of my day and I scroll through it and I see. 
I see some unbelievable accounts on there just sharing knowledge. I know more about gear and the Marine Corps and all this stuff now without even being in. And I get jealous. I'm like, maybe I should have a helmet. Well, what the hell do I need a helmet for? But like, I see these things and I think I wish that I had access to this sort of information when I was on active duty and, and using the gear. I see it. And then I see tactics and then I see communications things. And then there's the accounts out there that deal directly with service support issues that there's, you know, pictures of wreckers out there pulling Amtraks and uh, LAVs out of ditches and things like that. Every single great account is an awesome commercial for the Marine Corps. But then every single account that makes somebody look like a fool in uniform is is a detractor yeah. from from the uniform. And I take great pride in saying this, that we, the Marines, take great pride in our uniform, our lineage, our history, our professionalism, those kind of things too. So I think it, it hurts us a little bit more as Marines than maybe yeah. if I see an Army person doing it, I snicker when I see a Marine Corps person doing it. I kind of cringe a little bit. Yeah. That's just natural I get that. Yeah. But as a, as a follow-up question on the social media thing, as it relates to what we were just talking about with the barracks, I'm going to ask this question admittedly not knowing the answer, but I see so much great culture coming out of 1-8 on social media. I mean, they are on it. NCOs are participating in in the social media. And, and all I see is these great things about 1-8. If 1-8 was living in crappy barracks, you don't see that on social media. You don't. Now maybe they're in the brand new barracks. <laughs> They've got nothing to complain Probably about. Probably not. <laughs> but but right. But but that just kind of goes to show you that that there are other things that make the Marine Corps great. And I think when people do have a command culture where you're focused on the right things and the barracks are a place to live, I think that there is some sort of like quarter given on the barracks by by people who are in great command climates. If you're in a, a command climate that's crappy, they're they're out there. I know they are. I see people complaining about them on social media too and I won't say them but they're they're out there if they are also living in bad barracks they're the ones throwing the trash bags into the parking lot mm-hmm. right they're the ones that are saying if you don't care about me toxic command climate those kind of things like do the barracks become an issue because of some other underlying I agree to the to the development of a young person and and where we put them and where are they living so when they're trying to find themselves like we were when we were young a long time ago, right? You saw a poster, you saw you have a family member, something has pulled you. There's this thing that I keep talking about, this biological instinct to want to be in this uniform, right? And then you become that, get this title, and you become a Marine, and then you show up to a place that maybe doesn't look so good. And you start experimenting with alcohol or tattoos or all things that young people are are trying to figure out who they are, mm-hmm. right? So they they meet somebody from another part of the country that they're completely opposite of, and that's the beauty about who we are because right. you're like your roommate's gonna be somebody. You're I'm from Mexico, and that's that was my story. And then the person my roommate, Lance Corporal Fuller, was from Florida or something, right? And so you start, well, who am I? And you start. You know, there's this Marine Corps thing that's pushing you to be this way, and it has all these demands on you, like pressure to belong, pressure to perform. It's this pressure, constant pressure on you to look, walk, speak a certain way, a United States Marine. Marine. And you have all this lineage and history to uphold, but you're young. Like, that's like, yeah. and then for me, just, I wasn't really sold. Like, I was not sold until I was a pretty senior staff sergeant. 
No kidding. Nope. Were you on the drill field then? Where were I you was, in that? I was on the drill field. Okay. I did my first four years, and then and immediately on my four-year mark, I went to recruiting school. Like, that was my incentive, right? Right. When I wanted to go to drill instructor school, the service says, no, we know better. You're going to go to recruiting school, right? right? And I end up at recruiting school and did my years in California as a recruiter, and I was successful, and I was putting Marines through, and they would give me the before and after picture, but I didn't really get it. Right. I, I didn't really get what I was doing. I was like 23 years old, 24. It didn't click, Dave. And then I come back, and I go to Iraq, OIF-1, right? And you would think I would mature, but here I am running around with Hollywood on my helmet. Yeah. So not there yet. Right. I come back and then I end up going to drone structure school, which was my, my original dream. Then when I saw that process happen is when I really started, oh, this is about human beings. Yeah. Like you have impact. Like what I'm saying to you, you are taking in and you are trying to figure out, should I follow that or should I go this way? The mm -hmm. people who I see every day who have, who can influence me a lot more than you can. So what I say to you as a staff and CEO, it really must be built upon the trust that you have tried to gain from that relationship. Right. Right. And so when I say I wasn't sold, like every four years I was thinking I'm out. Like this is it. Okay. Right? And there was always somebody. There was always somebody who would come and touch you in the shoulders. Like you're you're different. Like you need, you're going here, you're doing that, you're going to recruiting duty, you're going this. And it was someone always uh, taking the time to pay attention to me. I come from nothing. Right. <laughs> right. Like nothing, like my business doing in this billet. Like how did I get here? I got here because people said you're going here, you're doing there. Clueless yeah. to the fact of where I would end up. Right. It was, it's a matter. It wasn't situations. It wasn't combat it wasn't it was people pushing me to be uncomfortable people pushing me to places that they thought i would succeed that i would never take on on my own because i was young and i was trying to figure things out yeah right and that's so when i think of marines today i don't think they're that much different and i think uh, that they're trying to figure it out and their place wherever their their feet are today and they're looking around you know what? The barracks are not so good, but my staff sergeant is pretty awesome, and my NCOs really care, and they're fit, and they and they speak about the service in a certain way, and yeah, they also have dreams and aspirations to be somebody else, but they're not on where we are today because they understand that it's a serious business, or they're looking around and be like, no one's no one's serious here, like people are just about themselves, right? No one's paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm the quiet one. I'm the one that doesn't think like others. Maybe not the spotlight marine where you're shiny and people pay attention popular. to. Popular, right? I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm in my own head, and I'm just trying to stay out of somebody's way. Who is coming to find that marine saying, you know what, you'd probably be pretty good at this. And in the same way, a first sergeant or a sergeant major tapping a second lieutenant or a lieutenant in the shoulder saying, hey, I've been watching you. You're probably, you're doing pretty good things, sir. 
I think we're missing that because I think we take for granted officers that they're just going to stay, that they're just like, they're yeah, just they're not. And they're not. Right. And so if we don't pay attention to the human, not necessarily the rank, I think, uh, you'll be and it's okay to go. Sure, I did. Right. I mean, it's okay. Right. And then I came back, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the reserves, right. But you know, that that's such a fascinating thing to say because, okay, let me just share my experience as an officer, which is anecdotal, right? It's my experience. It's also old. When I made the decision to get off active duty, it was, there, there were a couple things. One was, and I'm saying this because I want people to hear me say it. It was because I found something I wanted to do more than be a United States Marine. I just had a passion to do something outside of the Marine Corps. I wanted to go back to graduate school. I wanted to get into finance. I wanted to own my own company. I wanted to do that. It wasn't, I didn't get out of the Marine Corps because I hated it. So one, if you're going to get out, you got to, you got to make sure that you have a plan to don't get out just because you don't like it because then you'll just end up into some other organization that's sort of like a military just not wearing a uniform yeah. or, you'll, or you'll end up coming back in. But when I got out, the other thing that happened, and this is, it's different now, it's sort of like the way officers career designate, but we, the commissioning sources back then commissioned regular officers and reserve officers. But every officer did four years on active duty first. So if you came in through the Naval Academy or you came in through... ROTC with a scholarship, you were commissioned a regular officer and you could stay in as long as you didn't get kicked out. If you were, if you came in through ROTC and didn't have a scholarship, PLC, OCC, you had to compete for augmentation or career designate and you had to go through a board. And because the, the services were shrinking in the mid nineties, it was super competitive to get augmented. It was very difficult so you saw all these great officers get flushed out of the system just because they there wasn't enough boat space for them to stay in. Yeah. And then you saw people in the mid-90s because the economy was doing really well. The good officers were saying, I'm going to get out. The good officers and me <laughs> were saying, I'm right. going to get out, right, <laughs> and do something else. And and so you do have to pay attention to the officers because the, the good ones will get out. And I can remember all three times on active duty when somebody told me yeah, I did a good job. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but it's impactful whether... I can tell you, I can remember every single time an enlisted Marine came up to me and said, sir, that was awesome or something like that. Those things resonate. I think anytime a, a boss tells you you're doing a good job and I go back and I read some of my old fitness reports, and I think, wow, that guy really thought pretty highly of me, you know? Yeah. It's the, maybe it's too harsh, but it's about not treating people like they're pieces of furniture. And so the people inside whatever formation you're in today, there is a contract that's made that the Marine Corps is responsible for a bunch of things to deliver to you, to your soul, to be ready to go, right? That you must be proficient. This is, this are the standards and this is the standards that you will reach to. But the other side of that, Dave, is that the person has a responsibility to the service that I will not get fat, that I will look at, my profession and everything that I need to know about it, I have a responsibility to get better every day, that I will stay fit, that I will know as much as I can in order to provide information to those that are following me and, and be able to compel to the leadership that there is a problem and that you are strong enough and able to communicate the needs of your Marines. So there's this two-way thing. I will push you 
Marine Corps will push you to get to a standard and then not interested in lower standards. I'm, I'm interested in raising the standard. This is the Marine Corps telling the Marine, and the Marine is interested in pushing the Marine Corps forward, get out of the 20th century. This is where we can go quicker, faster, listen to what I'm saying, and continue to pound the leadership to push it forward yeah, to where we need to go. And it starts with you knowing your job <laughs> yeah. first, right? You upholding the standards of discipline and conduct and professionals to deliver the promise that we are who we say we are, right? So there's this dual thing for the leaders. That Marine is not a, uh, a thing for you to play with and only focus on the machine. We have a mandate to develop the total person. We have a mandate. Mm-hmm. So there's this duality thing, right? Like I'm in the Marine Corps today because I enjoy what I'm doing and it's a stepping stone to something else. Right. Understand that and then realize how you can help that Marine push themselves to get there as well. You can do both. Right. Right. The Marines are not just there for your service, right? And they understand the stakes. How invested are you in understanding what else they want mm-hmm. for themselves and their family? What are they running from? Yeah, what, what that's are, a great question. What are they what what are they fearing? What are, what was their situation like before they joined? What would they like their situation to be after they they get out? It is fascinating to me how we just sometimes may treat people like they're just part of a system and it's it's not that way. Do you think some of that has to do with this is a little bit of our culture kind of thing, but that's how it was when I grew up. That's how it was when I was at boot camp. That's how it was when I was a Lance Corporal. That's how it was when I lived in the barracks. And so now all of a sudden, sergeants, staff sergeants are, are now saying like, well, that's how it was for me. So that's how it should be for you. When really in reality, from a leadership perspective, they should be looking at it and saying, how can I make it better for them than it was for me? Mm-hmm. Maybe not adhering to the, that's the way it was for me. Because this is always fascinating for me to think about. Do you know that your way down the line, future replacement is a Lance Corporal right now? Yeah. Mathematical certainty, right? So there is some Lance Corporal out there that in 25 years is going to be the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. There's no other path to it. But they're probably experiencing some quality of life issues right now that are gnawing at them. Maybe the most qualified Lance Corporal to be the future Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps decides to get out because whatever one of these things that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I spoke to a, a congresswoman. And uh, I said to her, I've been waiting 30 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been waiting 30 years to point out how we can maybe push the ball forward a little faster. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I think you can help me, ma'am. I think you can help the service. I think you can help the DOD. This is how we can think about all things quality of life, which is weird because, you know, much like all of my career, the things that I wanted to go do that the Marine Corps said no, you're going this way was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Yeah. Right. Like did everybody on recruiting duty hear that statement right now? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be a recruiter Yeah, and it was the best thing that could have happened. I wanted to be in this duty station and this duty station and be there. And it didn't happen. And I remember fighting so hard to get to certain places. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good one. I was, I wanted to go to, to barrack, to the barracks. And uh, how, how do I get to the barracks? He's like, no, you're going to three, four. You're going to three, four, Lee and company. The most, the 
best thing that could have ever happened to me as as the first time. And then that led to getting selected to Sergeant Major. Where do you want to go? I want to stay in infantry uh, battalions. Oh, you're going to uh, whatever, right? Yeah. So it's pay attention to where you are. If I can ask about that first sergeant going to the infantry room, I, I want to come back to the quality of life thing, and I promise I will, but just, just a good segue here. You came out, and I don't, you know, no offense here, but like <laughs> you came out of a supply MOS, right? And then you were on recruiting duty. 3051 warehouse yeah. clerk day. Raw. Raw. Exactly, right. I have a tattoo did of you, a forklift. Did you, did you did you inspect SIF gear when it came in and kick it back? Sure. It was, yeah, okay, so you know the deal. Yes, recruiting duty, recruiting, and then all of a sudden, first sergeant, right? You filled out the F on your fitness report. Now you're first sergeant, and they're like, you're going to 3-4. And by the way, 3-4 is going to combat, right? Lima 3-4. And all of a sudden you check in, like, what do you remember being the biggest shock that you were unprepared for that you can tell somebody who just put F on their fitness report and is coming out of aviation maintenance, let's say, and going to be a grunt first sergeant? Yes, it was a shock. You rewind time. I remember going to go see first sergeant, now retired sergeant major, Scott Pyle. And I wanted to ask him, what do I need to do to be a first sergeant? Because I would look at the command boards and I would try to figure out what is the common trend on the command boards of these first sergeants or sergeant majors. Mm-hmm. So I would look at a drill instructor ribbon and then I, w- I was trying to figure out what's, how, what do I need to do to be a first sergeant? Because that's, you know, that's what I thought I wanted. Scott Pyle said, sit down. I, listen, I have a meeting in like four minutes. It's like, and he took a yellow sticky and he said, you need this PME. You need to be in this billet. You need to be this and this. And you need to desi- decide right now that that's really what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And he spent those four minutes, the most Im- most impactful four minutes of my life. And I kept that sticky, Dave. Oh, wow. And I still have that sticky. And every time I would accomplish one of those billets, and again, this is by circumstance that not, it was just, oh, I'm the company gunny. Like, oh, I'm the serious chief or, oh, and I'm clicking off all these things. And I, I kept that sticky because I remember that conversation because I knew that I would have that conversation with somebody else right. down the line, that it would be my turn. Right. Right. And I get to, I get three, four, but they're at Bridgeport. Right. Okay. So I do a- Summer or winter? Winter. Oof. So- Okay, you, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get to to Bridgeport uh, first sergeant select, but first you're going to go to the first sergeant seminar. Okay, uh, first sergeant school, and that was a week long at Quantico of PowerPoint. PowerPoint. This is what you need. All things you need to know, and people you need to know now that you're a first sergeant. Okay, and then we fly to to uh, whatever airport that was and i land in bridgeport like around 18 1900 and uh, they had spent a week there acclimatizing so the next morning they were going to go up on the shelf and just stay there for the next whatever yeah and i remember getting there in the company gunny gunny sergeant lewis says i got your gear first sergeant welcome let's we're going to go to chow right now the company commander's already over there at the mess hall you meet him and then uh, we'll come back and tomorrow morning we're stepping off at blah, 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 blah. I said, okay. And I have all this pile of gear. Right. <laughs> right. Skis. Like they have been a whole week learning how to get on skis, learning how to get on snowshoes, like all of it. And then here you go. Figure it out. Right. right? <laughs> right. And I knew that 
time as I knew it would be different in a good way. But I was smart enough to know that Gunny Lewis, like, hey, man, I'm from this world. What I'm looking at right here, like, I need, I need some help. Yeah. Right. And he, he's a company Gunny and he's got a million things to do because that's, we're going up, right? So you imagine company Gunny's life, right? Yeah. But he took the time to help me set up my gear and make sure that I didn't look like a bag of donuts when I stepped off in front mm -hmm. of the Marines, right? And I remember getting a count card the next morning, getting the count card and seeing what I had. And then I step out and I see the Marines already feet shoulder width apart, carrying everything, ski sticking out. You know, they, they have all the weapon systems, all the heavy all, ev weapons company. I could just picture weapons company was like right oh, to geez, my right. Yeah. Of me. And I looked at these young people and I was like, holy smokes, don't show anything. Just right. right. And I uh, gave the count card to the company commander. And he's like, first sergeant, like, yeah, you ready to go? It's like, yep. I knew enough at that moment. I said, platoon sergeants, come up here. So I, I held the company commander. I said, platoon sergeants. I just wanted to know what the plan was, what's going to happen should someone fall out. I just needed to know the SOPs. Mm -hmm. It was just instinctive to me, I guess, that I wasn't, I wasn't in the front of the bus, but I knew enough that I needed to ask more questions. Yeah. And so we stepped off, and then within, I don't know, two miles of climbing, I remember a staff and CEO falling out. And I remember the company guy coming up to me, hey, staff sergeant so-and-so from blah, 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 is, is falling out. We may have to put him in the van. I said, okay. Keep climbing. Marines drop their packs to take a whatever break, and it's just pouring snow, Dave. It is just pouring snow. And I remember the Marines dropping their packs. They face a certain way. They start stripping down. They have their T-shirt ready to go. They take off their wet T-shirt, and then they put a fresh one in, and they're just doing all things that that they do. So I'm just, I'm just going back to Mexico, like in boot camp, like, Okay, what are they doing? Okay, now I'm doing that. Right, right. Following what everybody else is I'm not going to stand out. Right? right. So I do my thing, and we finally get to, to where we needed to go. And then that night, the company commander says, uh, first time, what do you think uh, about the staff sergeant, the platoon sergeant that, that fell out? This has been a problem, blah, 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 blah. That night, we went back down to relieve the staff and CO and then place a new staff and CO in, in their okay. stead. And that immediately sent the message to me, like, this is about you need to perform, you need to look like, walk like, all things of a standard of a United States Marine. Like, this is the place where accountability exists. And the staff and CO, I looked into his eyes, says, you are relieved of your duties. I need you to get healthy. I need you to blah, blah, blah. And I need you to return best as you can as fast as you can okay right, right now you're going to be shifted to this place so it wasn't they for me a you're fired you're weak you're you're worthless right it, it was moment that i'm looking at a human being who doesn't want to fail didn't want to fail didn't want to let the marines down doesn't want to be embarrassed and i can feel that coming from him his acceptance of i'm not pulling my weight first arm i understand I will give everything I have to the new platoon sergeant, and then I will do whatever I have to do to, to, to earn your trust and confidence again, to hopefully gain the billet again. So that was a big lesson learned for me. I was like, 
okay, this is the place where accountability exists. And how do I carry that forward on every other assignment? That's It just never left me. That if you're a staff and CEO, if you're a corporal, if you're a lance corporal and you are put in the leadership position, wow, real accountability is powerful for me to, to watch that. Let's segue into, re- take that and segue into retention too. So, because I know you'll talk about this when you go to your congressional testimonies. I mean, if I was Congressman Armstrong, I would ask this. Well, first of all, I would never be Congressman Armstrong because I'll only be a senator. Okay, so if anybody's listening and wants to <laughs> tap me to replace uh-huh. Tim Kaine here in Virginia, call me up. Or Secretary of the Navy. I'll take that too. Yep. But if I were to ask you a question about retention, I think it would sound something like this. Like, if the Marine Corps is focused on keeping their best and their brightest after the four year, I mean, so everybody's in for the four years. And at that point, you've had an opportunity to evaluate everybody. And I know that there's some great new changes coming out with um, personal management and everything in the Marine Corps. Can you talk about some of the things that have changed and will continue to change that you think could be really impactful for retaining the best and the brightest because you're competing with civilian world, you're competing with wages, you're competing with potentially better housing, better lifestyle, balance, all these kind of things. What is it that the Marine Corps is going to do to work on the retention policy? Because a few minutes ago, we talked about how people are getting out and they always will, but there's a lot of quality of life issues that reside outside of just the barracks. Are we creating things in their everyday life that we can get rid of that create a little bit more balance in people's lives? Because I know there's a a daycare problem in the Marine Corps across the services, you know, taking care of kids, you know, working till 20 hundred. Are there some things that are being looked at across the Marine Corps that can maybe increase literally the quality of people's lives outside of the barracks? That's good. The systems that exist today, right? The, The programs, what I didn't know that I know now, there are so many talented people inside our organization. When you say tier, when you say best and brightest, like I scored a 40 on my ASVAB score. How'd you beat me? <laughs> that's not true, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. So I always, you know, look at that and people's desire to serve does not equate to test scores, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we, if we are focused on and only on the tier ones, for example, the, the very highly, you know, talented Marines out there. That that's not who makes up most of our our organization. It's regular people. It is people who score forties on their ASVAB test and have a QT of a ninety six or a GT of a ninety six, because I'm talking about me, who could barely comprehend what was being asked of me on the ASVAB test because of my language barrier. But my, my desire to serve was in the 90s, if, you, if 99 was the perfect score. So who stays in the Marine Corps? Well, people who find purpose and people who find meaning and people who connect with values and people who connect with leaders, that's who stays. And it doesn't matter what the Marine Corps thinks, how the Marine Corps tags them to be a tier one, a tier two. I had a, a research uh, done of all the Bravos, meaning people who score less than a 50 and higher than a 31 on the ASVAB test, where are they in the Marine Corps today? Where are the ones that scored 50 to 99? Mm-hmm. Where are they? You know, Who gets out? Who stays in? The Bravos turn into alphas. They, the Marine Corps, makes, develops you into somewhat, develops you into a tier one. Yeah. 
right? It's just the way that we are built to improve upon you, all things you. It just happens naturally. And so now what we have to think about, and this is going to be a, it's a culture issue, because like you know, the Marine Corps eats first. Mm-hmm. Has to. Has to, right? And it will always eat first. Right. The nation demands it. Yeah. But there's a difference between that and not even listening or understanding a Marine's specific situation that is so talented, but they got themselves into a little corner, unable to get out. And if we just take an extra step, that we can probably fix that problem mm-hmm. and they will stay. Right. Right. And so what I've seen now, what I know now that I didn't know then is that inside our organization, these majors and gunnies and this is who I've, who has briefed me on the future of the talent marketplace, giving the Marines more flexibility. And I think the word is predictability. Okay. I am pretty sure that that's where we're going. You're going to go do hard things. Sergeant Jones, you're going to go to Guam. You're going to go be a drone searcher. You're going to be here, but I'm going to send you here after that. Right. Right. Like I, so don't sell your house. Because you're going to come back here. Yeah. You know, in three years, you'll be back here. I'm not a fan of my job. I have grown from my 96 GT, and now I feel that I can contribute to the Marine Corps in this field. Okay? Go on this this site, and you will see all the MOSs that you qualify for today, mm-hmm. and here are the things that you need to do. So giving the Marine more freedom to move their career to help the Marines be more lethal, but also keep them engaged in their fire burning. Yeah. Right? I'm a 3051 warehouseman, and I, I, I didn't have any problems with that job. I just knew that, that I could do more. Yeah. Give me more. Give me more. And so I think Marines want to contribute in many different ways if we just give them a chance to do it. But predictability is where systems and things and AI and the things that we're investing in more monitors. Remember how you one monitor for one field and you take your phone call or she tell you to or go not town take sand, it, right? Yeah, right. Um, or not take it. Uh, now we have a, we are investing in bringing in more monitors to reduce the ratio of marine per or counselor or monitor so they can have a better conversation with you and understand your family dynamics in order to get you where now what i need from the force is we will work with you man we will bend over backwards to get you to the right place at the right time with the right where that where your talents are needed but someone's got to go to 29 palms and someone's got to go to okinawa and someone's got to go to guam and someone's got to go to many different hard places and that's where you got to go but I think we can take it one more step and say, well, I'll bring you back here. Oh, I'll go there. You know, just a, a conversation is happening today that never happened before or only very few people who knew somebody who knew somebody got the hookup, right? Now we're trying to say, no, everybody has a say, understanding that the Marine Corps has the last say. Is it more than just having the conversation? I mean, are things actually happening Sure, like uh, I'll give you an example, like dual military families. That's a good one, yeah. Talk about that. Now it requires a general officer before approval to split up a military family. Let me say that back. Now 
in order to split them up, a general officer has to say, make it happen. Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, before it was like, no, you're going. Right. It was the monitor. It was the monitor. Right. So now if we're going to split up a dual military family, the general officer inside that MM building, the MNRA building, Manpower and Reserve Affairs building, must approve that breakup. And it has usually to do with school, or, and there's not a, the school's only so long, and so whatever the, the, okay. reasons, the reasons are. So we want to keep families, dual military families together. Yeah. Single parents who have family care plans that rely on family that are there. We should really pay attention to that. Right. Otherwise, it's not even a choice for a single parent. You're going to move me here where I have no other place for my children. Right. You think I'm going to give up my child? Right. So or, I a or a special needs child. Or special needs. Right. right. I mean, yeah. like, no. It's a way for our, air quotes, systems to have a checkpoint with a human that says, no, the system says this, but the human being is saying, we're going to commit this I mean, we're going to commit with you and put you here or give you this job or do this because we want you to feel and believe that our, our best interest is to take care of you. You deliver your best self to the service. And there's a contract that was made, right? That you will commit back to us. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you'll stay because we were there for you. Is there is there going to be an opportunity for, and this may be a little bit of an extreme example, but... Is there going to be opportunities for people to say, I have family, a life, my wife has a career in San Diego kind of thing, and I just want to do 20-some 20, 20 years, but I I need to stay in the San Diego area. And in, in my days, that was a no, you know, you were going to move around. As a matter of fact, they wanted to move you around. Are opportunities like that going to be made available for families who have a, like, is that on the table now? Every situation will be different. Okay. Dave. I was on the West Coast for 20 years. I went Twin on Palms, mm-hmm. Hollywood, the Depot, Camp Pendleton. So for 20 years, I bounced around there. Right. right. And it wasn't until I was selected to go to Marine Forces Reserve that I ended up moving to the other side. There are examples like that, right? We just have to be really smart about it because even like what we found, you mentioned childcare, that a lot of the staff inside the child care centers are family members. So when you move and you're moving unnecessarily just because as they move, then you lose a staff member from the child care, which means less children in that development center. So we're like shooting ourselves on our foot. So what we had to do was, oh, we have family members that work at the CDCs and they're, we're moving them. Okay, if we are going to move them, hey, CDC, who's receiving that person. Do you have a job? Do you have an open spot? Most likely, yes. Okay, you're going to go straight from boom, CDC to CDC, and and get started, right? So we don't lose. We were like, we were just crazy with staff turnover and CDCs. Like almost half of the staff was turning over, and most of it was our fault. We figured that out. We're down to like under 20% staff turnover. So now we look at, well, what else can we do? And that's really the attitudes of, the general officers and senior enlisted today is like, well, what else can we do? That should be the focus, right? Because you're the senior leaders. Yeah. What about healthcare? Is that something that you'll be asked questions about in testimony, do you think? Uh, yes. I think it's the, the TRICARE stuff. Okay. Right? So the, the 
accessibility to care, the there was an idea that the Defense Health Agency, right, will take over systems of all systems and they deliver on a promise that we the DOD would save money and would be more efficient. Right. Right. But we're not there. So mental health providers. Mm-hmm. Right. So if a Marine does what I told them to do, if you're having problems, go seek medical health. I am having thoughts of hurting myself. Sergeant Major, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm going to go walk into the clinic and I say, I need help. And then that clinic turns around and says, you have an appointment 45 days. Right. 45 days from today. That's unacceptable. Is it a problem that the Marine Corps can solve? We're trying. Yeah. But the entire country is short on doctors and nurses and medical professionals. And it's in, we cannot compete with salaries you know we can offer this much and this many bonuses and then the civilian sector will say well we'll offer you this it's just we just can't match it so they may choose the financial security when they really want to serve right right just may be too overwhelming for them not to take that that package right they want to help us like we have families today whose spouse is a medical professional and they work out in the civilian sector yeah you know, it's like, really, you, you live on base, and you drive out the gate and take care of everyone else, right? Right. And Probably because of salary. Salaries, right? Yeah. So how do we get Marines to maybe take a look at being chaplains because we're short on chaplains? How do we get Marines to become subject matter experts on all things that our corpsmen do? So we are having to take a hard look on how we look at health I don't know, Dave, what your insurance plan is here for your employees, but I'm hoping that they can go anywhere and the insurance yeah. is is, uh, is accepted. It's very hard for a young person today with a family where they can ask if they if TRICARE is accepted. It's less and less that TRICARE is accepted. I have two employees here who are on TRICARE because their husbands are both in the military. So I, I hear some of these anecdotal things about quality of life from their perspective. So I hear about the child care thing I hear about TRICARE. Yeah, and since you ask, I mean, healthcare in the civilian world roughly looks like this. Your employer will generally pay for some portion of it, and then you is responsible for anything above and beyond that, and then you can make choices with that. You can say, I'm fine with an HMO, which basically means you go see a doctor, or you can pay extra and get access to the doctor that you want to see, and then you have to pay deductibles and things like that. It's expensive. When you're in the military and you don't have to write a check to go to get health care or get, I mean, I've had three reconstructions on my ACL, which is why I can't take you up on your um, <laughs> offer to run the Marine Corps Marathon <laughs> with you and Big Bunny next year. But um, I think it's you know, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny? Yes, Bad Bunny. Okay, sorry. You I'm, better edit that. No, leave it. I, <laughs> <laughs> you could talk about Led Zeppelin, the Stones. I mean, you know, talk about Tom Petty. But I'm writing checks for six grand every time I, I mean, that's, you have something more than a cough due to cold. You got a problem on your hands financially, even if you do have insurance. So some people talk about how great the healthcare insurance, what they leave out of that is, yeah, but you're, you're, you're paying, yeah. right? I mean, so. It's, a, it's, it's delivering on the promise of the all-volunteer force. Right. Medical was part of it. It is. And so when we are telling a young person and a young family that don't worry, you will always have health care. And then we don't deliver or we deliver in a way that is not satisfactory to the standards of today. Mm-hmm. And it's 45 days later or 60 days later. It just erodes, you know, it's just one more paper cut, one more thing that is like, why am I dealing with this? Right. Now we have to be better 
and educating our our Marines and families on on the finances and the finances part, right? So so the compensation package of a service member is pretty good, pretty competitive. To your point about you having to dish right. out, you know, the health care for your employees, they would have to pay for that. And that's probably why the transfer from active duty to the reserve component has been so popular because of that TRICARE bill. Right. The amount of savings that a person has when they join the reserve component with TRICARE is life-saving. Yeah. It's also great. I mean, okay, quick plug for the reserves. Yeah. Because most people know that I, I really love my reserve time after my first reserve time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I so when I turn 59 and a half, I'm eligible for... So if you're on active duty and you retire you start getting all of your benefits right away when you retire. So if you came in the Marine Corps at 18 years old and you do 20, you're drawing a pension from 38 years old on, I mean, you can have a whole other career, 20-year career somewhere. That's a pretty good deal um, to include things like TRICARE and all of those kind of things. I have to wait until I'm 59 and a half, which is fine because I'm a civilian. I mean, I have employment, right? So at 59 and a half, if my world went to hell and the company went out of business and I had no access to healthcare, I'd be eligible for... Tricare. I don't know all the details of it. I just know I am at some level eligible to be on that. That that provides me some comfort, right? The VA is obviously available too. But back to the quick reserve commercial. I mean, that is a really nice thing about the reserves. And if you're a participant in the Marine Corps for the 20 years, whether it's on the reserve side, there are some great benefits to to staying in and being retained, choosing to retain yourself. I get very excited to hear that you and the Commandant and and obviously the the other leaders in the Marine Corps are talking about retention in a way that is really meaningful because I do think there's some leakage, some leakage of talent that would stay in if some of the things that you were talking about, just reaching down, touching them, encouraging them to stay in, improving their quality of life. Because I do, I do think there's some quality of life things. I do hear from people, and actually a lot of questions, I got a ton of questions that came in on that, the internet asked me kind of anything, but they were, they were in big themes. Another one was, you know, geez, I'm working six days a week until 20 hundred. I can't get home and see my kids soccer games. I can't do this. And then I, I hear other people say, well, like Colonel McClam made a great analogy where he's like, look, it's, it's not really, there's not really a balance of life. There's more of a flex of life. And some, sometimes you're in billets where you are working really, really hard. And then sometimes you're in billets where you're not working really hard and you kind of you, you set your family up and say, hey, for the next two or three years, this is going to be very difficult. I'm going to be deploying UDP, things like that, and then I'm going to be in school. And, and all of a sudden, I started thinking, like, that applies to officers a lot more than it does, say, a staff sergeant. Because conceivably, in 0311, let's just say up to and including the selection to st- your selection for promotion to staff sergeant, you may have never left an infantry company. Yeah. I mean, there is no flex. Like, when, when I hear people talk about that, and I think to myself, okay, what about the quality of life? for the E1 through and maybe even including E6 because conceivably they could be just in a unit their entire time and there is no balance. Now you're dealing with, I never see my kids' soccer games. I'm never home with my family. I don't have personal life because I'm working so hard. Are there some quality of life things that leaders can look at to, to improve things at the unit level? I mean, a battalion commander has the discretion to sound liberty at 1700 if he wants to. They do, Dave. And you see, um, you mentioned one eight. Mm-hmm. And from a distance, through social media, they seem to have a pretty good thing going. Yeah. And that commander is doing, that team has this thing happening where they are trying to achieve a balance. But if, if I were really to dig in, 
that commander and, and the command team, they're trying to be as lethal as possible. And that... First and foremost. First and foremost. Yeah. But I think they understand they can only get there if all these other things are being looked at and worked on. And they may not have any solutions mm-hmm. for them. But the Marines inside that formation feel they have this thing that they feel like they care and that they are doing their best to solve issues in their lives. The sergeant or staff sergeant who's been doing that life for, I don't know how many years, they're probably doing it because they they have subscribed to the vision of what's next. And they're in. Like They are like, okay, this life is pretty hard and is wearing me out, but where we are going and where we are trying to get to is pretty interesting to me. And I want to get there with the Marine Corps. I want to help the Marine Corps get there. And so they stay because it's compelling enough for them, even though they can't get to soccer games or or so on and so forth. I think with most successful units, there is this predictability of schedules that helps and that the Marine takes a responsibility to communicate those time frames with their family. Or you forgot to say, hey, honey, the family day is on this or hey, honey, you know, we're, we're doing this in the command. Can you come? Blah, blah, blah. And you didn't because maybe you wanted to keep things separate. My life as a Marine and family, I want to separate that world. Some people think that way. I don't know what's right or what's not right for your individual situation. So I think the mission compels people to stay and the vision of the commander and how you make people feel compels people to stay when those things are not being worked on then you start looking around and you're like yeah i'm tired no one seems to care the standards are not being upheld because people can't see us talking you have your psd team here that that (laughs) brought you in so for listeners there's there's three of the marines here and when the four of you walked in to the office today i was making a joke about how i don't let people put trash cans under their desk because I just have this persnickety thing about seeing trash cans with the liners out. They think they look like shit. And somebody made the joke about well, where's the uh, any mouse box to put the put the complaint in, right? Yeah. And I thought when you were just talking and reflected back on that comment, like, you know where my any mouse box is? My competitor who's about to hire them. Right. So like I'm always dealing with the quality of life drives the fact that my most important asset leaves every single day at five o'clock and I hope to God they come back at nine yeah. and and that nobody is offering them a better deal. And if they're offering them more money, I want them to be able to say, yeah, but you've got to offset the fact that we can bring, I can bring my dog to the office or I am guaranteed to be out of work every single day at 1700 and things like that. And so, but then you said predictability and I'm kind of wondering if the, if the if the real balance there is more about predictability and maybe that's the way people should be thinking about it. If you could tell if I was a Marine and like my commander said, Hey, this week in the middle of the month is designated as we're securing at 1630 every single day. So you can count on us driving the plan of the day to get the important things done by 1630 and anything else that doesn't get done, we're just going to roll it into the next day. And maybe things aren't as important as we thought. And we're just not going to get to them or whatever it is, but Maybe that gives people to say, it's like, hey, this is the week where I'm getting, I know I will predictably get off at 1630 because the commander said so. Yeah. I mean, I used to joke, I said, what are you doing on the hallways of 3-5 or the hallways of 3-4? And the, we're going to put the schedule, the teep, right? We're going to put it up right here, right next to, we're going to use from this hatch to this hatch. We're going to lay out the whole teep so everyone can see what we're doing and they right. can go tell their families what times to plan for what, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah great idea right yeah 
except nobody comes to the company office unless they're probably getting something's not good happening, right? Right. So take it one more step. Yeah. You want to communicate to the Marines about what we're doing and where we're doing and predictability. Where is their common place? Where are they? And put it there. Right. Right. Because they're not coming to the wolf's den where the first sergeant is right. or the company commander is. They're going to the armory or right. to wherever. Right. Yeah. And so there are many different ways to get at it. And people do it very good all over the Marine Corps today. Hence, retention. Just think about it. You know, they're your people. So give them something and exhaust yourself. Exhaust yourself in trying to push information. Right. In an era of all things technology on command climate surveys, the top three, one of them is always going to be lack of communication. So keep moving. Keep pushing the boundaries to speak to Marines about what is coming up next. And that will help. It cannot not hurt. I mean, I mean, it cannot not help. So, so when I got selected a corporal, it was the same feeling, sinking feeling of, am I good enough? And it's so every rank, you know, like the big one to corporal, the big one to sergeant. I'm like, nah, I'm going to be a sergeant. Like, holy crap. And so I'm like, oh, this is the same. I, I recognize this feeling of the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of how hard do I need to work now in this job to ensure I don't let down the Marines? Like I have a certain amount of time on the clock ticking of how hard I can go to try to get as many people to listen to all things of a, of a Marine's life and what we could do to comfort that a little better, to understand a little better, provide a little better in order for them so we can let them loose. If I have a fault in my the way that I deal with people is that I like you to run. Like run. Like be creative. What have you always wanted to do? Like run with it. And that's been the thing for me. And I and the rank thing is slightly in- interesting to me. Yeah. Because I'm focused on your talent and how much you can bring out of yourself. Discover who you are. Bring it. Like, I'm listening, I'm here, go. And so I have a clock in my head, and it's it's how much can I make people listen to what Marines are going through today? Slightly interested in the studies, the RANs, the CNAs. Like, I am bringing forward to the table reality of today's Marines, and I feel like I can feel them. Well, that comes out on your social media stuff, yeah. too. I mean, I when I see on social media, I feel like, wow, that. He is resonating. I know he's resonating with the Marines the way he's talking about this. Like, I love the live streaming of the marathon when you're just out there. Yeah. Right. And Marine, like people just walking up to you and running up to you and saying hi. And Master Sergeant Fuentes, I think you probably had to run the marathon with him. (laughs) (laughs) His plan was to, I'm just going to come in and do a mile or two, Sergeant Major, and then, and then I'll jump off and I'll cut corners and meet you. Yeah. And there was no exits. Oh, so he ran like 22 miles. Of the 26. Did you give him a 96 after that? <laughs> <laughs> Next year, Cody Seitz is running it with yeah, you, right? Yeah. I, I already volunteered her <laughs> yeah, as well. That's, that's yeah. great. Um, but even like the other one, the marching of the platoon. Oh, that was awesome. I love that too. Yeah. Like I didn't, Master R went live without me knowing, right? But it's a natural thing that I followed an impulse. It was the environment was telling me I, I was there. And sometimes leaders are too worried about 
this isn't what we do or this isn't my place, but they're looking for you to be you. They want a relatable person leading them. Relate. And so all of this is going to bite me in the butt at some point, like being too much me. I get it. Right. But I don't have a problem with that. Like failing in front of people. I don't have a problem with oversharing. Like I'll just, this is who I am. That doesn't mean I don't, I haven't internalized the standards of a Marine. I will slay you. I will take your soul. You take me off. I will, I will take your soul. Right. That exists in me because I have internalized the standards of what it means to be a Marine. But also I have managed to figure out a way to use who I am with those standards. Yeah. And if I can show that this is me, then I think maybe you could be you, but also internalize the standards of a Marine, making you more effective. Of course. As a human being, period. So when I see something and I feel it and it's and it may not be proper for somebody else, for me, it was perfect. It was the future of the Marine Corps is right in front of me. They're about to graduate. They have no idea. They, they recited my name probably a thousand times, you know, in their knowledge checks. Sure, right. right. During the inspection. Who's the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps? Yeah. Right, yeah. But I remember, right, like I remember as a recruit doing that. Yeah. And I remember Sergeant Major Overstreet coming to the depot, and that was like, holy crap. Yeah. That's the Sergeant Major right. of the Marine Corps, right? Yeah. But I really didn't know what, what that meant. Those privates now or private first class who are at home on leave, maybe that's registering to them. Yeah, right. You know, and and maybe 20 years from now, they'll be like, they'll be telling this story that I got to, they were marched by the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. For of course me, they will. For me, it wasn't the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps marching them. It was just a Marine getting in front of a platoon in a place where it's all on our best day where we want things to be perfect. Right. Right. And people think that drill is not a thing and it shouldn't be part of what we do as Marines. But inside that box, in in between the first rank and that platoon sergeant, those six feet, magic happens. Yeah. Like they're listening they're observing, they're picking up frequencies, they're, they're, they're hanging on by every word that you're saying. What will you say to them that will push them forward or tell them to go to condition one? And will they do that with a happy heart? What have you done up to that point? Inside that box, like those squad leaders, and inside that understanding where they come from and they know each other's thing and they, it's where perfection is. They know each other. Like they move together in a drill movement, exactly how we want them to move on the battlefield, that they can just feel each other and move towards the sounds of danger, right? It's perfect. And so I just saw an opportunity to give them something, give everyone who was watching, because all of a sudden there was like a bunch of people watching, that it's okay, that it's okay to follow your instincts sometimes, most of the time. Because it's the right thing to do. That's almost the definition of a good leader, right? I mean, there's not a rule and regulation for everything. You have to follow your instincts. And yep. a lot of that has to do with experience and knowledge and knowing your job. And those things filter into instinct. I don't know. When I saw that video of you marching the Marines down, I, I stood up a little bit straighter. I got to I gotta tell you. Yeah. It was just, I thought it was inspiring. And it probably inspired a lot of other people, too. And I was reading the messages. People who say who don't read messages, they're, they're lying. Um, 
<laughs> they only stop reading them when it gets negative, right? Yeah. So I was I was reading it. Even the ones who are grumpy and they don't feel right with the Marine Corps today, I felt them mm-hmm. crossing the line and saying, "That's pretty awesome, right?" Like I felt a turn, and that's what I'm after. Really, is it's not just about caring for the soul of the Marine, the person, and the fire on why they wear a uniform today. Uh-huh. I'm also after reigniting the veteran community to stay connected to today's Marines. Yeah. That it's not okay to be on the sidelines and throw rocks, that we are all one. And it's just not the American Legion or the BFWs or the Marine Corps Leagues. It is the PB Abates. It is the Rubicons, the Travis Manning Foundation. It's mm-hmm. like these are the newest organizations that are coming up. How do I get all of us in the same page? And I'm, I'm, you know, why, why do you think you get to do that, Sergeant Major? Yeah. Well, because I, I have it today. And how do I keep that continuum fire of what it means to be a Marine inside of a uniform and out of a uniform? And that means that I have to go to them and be as transparent as I can be. And just because that's what Marines appreciate. Yeah. Candor, transparency. And then here it is. And then we're going this way. Here are my expectations. And when you're not living up to them, I'm going to respectfully tell you. That's right. And so I want, I desperately want to communicate to both worlds and get feedback from both worlds. So a Marine who does decide to get out and transitions, that there's someone waiting for them, right? And then we have this continuum of, yeah, the Marine Corps wasn't for me, but holy crap, did it affect the rest of my life, right? None of this would exist had I not been a Marine. Yeah, I would have never had the confidence to start my own company or lead people or, or any of that. I, I owe a ton. I owe 50% of who I am today to my parents and 50% to, to the Marine Corps. To then Gunnery Sergeant Ripkowski, who came <laughs> off the drill field to be the AMOI at the University of South Carolina and maybe thrashed me at standards that are no longer acceptable, yeah. but they, it, I turned out okay. So, But isn't that the thing, right? For me, it was it's Sergeant Tooks. You know, Sergeant Tooks is this can, this handoff. I was handed off to you know a squad leader and so on and so on. And then I landed with Sergeant Tooks in Okinawa, who was everything that I thought a Marine NCO would be like waiting for me in shape immaculate uniform knew his stuff pushed us tried to constantly trying to find the weaknesses that remained and how to improve upon that will speak to you like a human being right will fire you up when you needed to be fired up right yeah and then his buddy sergeant sergeant d sergeant daughtery and his and the corporals and the inspections and the development of who we were trying to be and then i spend the next 25 26 27 years trying to be sergeant tukes yeah for somebody else right that that's how it works yeah i had here are the four big names right i had then gunnery sergeant ripkowski who is my ami at the university of south carolina so 0369 8511 you know drill instructor came off the drill field came to south carolina with eighth and i Extremely impactful, more so than my uh, than the than the officer was. Then I had Captain Real. He was the MOI at Norwich University. Have no idea what happened to him. Staff Sergeant Sergeant Instructor Valanueva, who was a grunt sniper, so he was the heavy hand, like he was the yeller. Yeah. And then Platoon Sergeant Gunnery Sergeant Black, not former Sergeant Major, but was a Force Recon Marine. I remember he he came out in the squad bay one time without his shirt on. He had a big 
deer tattooed across the front of his chest. <laughs> and if anybody knows where he is, please put me in touch with him because I want to let him know that I turned out okay. So those four Marines, right? Real quick story. We were running at OCS and we were coming down this road that was behind the the obstacle course and it had those little dips that get created by the the rain, uh-huh. you know, like just a little. And we were running, finishing up a run and I stepped in the thing. I fell, kind of twisted my ankle, fell off to the side, big cloud of dust kind of thing. And Valanueva, Staff Sergeant Valanueva, picks me up by what I feel like was the back of my neck and pulls me up and says, Armstrong, get back in that formation right now. Gunnery Sergeant, Gunny Rip. Gunny Rip would expect way more than 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 you not being able to catch up. And I was like, whoa. I just heard my AMY's name come out of my sergeant structure. like, these guys are talking. Right? Yes. And I thought to myself, you know, Gunny Rip, for as much as he was yelling and everything like that, like he was making sure that his that his men at the time were performing down there at OCS because he trained them to a standard. And that standard was you get your ass back. <laughs> like you fall down, you still catch back, catch back up. But the standard, right? Like if uh, Dakota Meyer told me this, I was talking to him and he said, we were talking about standards and he's like, sorry, major. I, I, I want to help any way I can. Dakota has evolved into a very different sorry, person. Major Ken told me that recently yeah. that he's really, yeah, it's, it's really doing a lot of good things for us. And he, we're, we're going over and over about standards and he said, if, if we don't evolve and, and we keep training to, if we think that training to my standard at my time, if we continue to do that, we're going to get our ass kicked, push the standards forward. And I, I usually tell TBS, I, I say, uh, what's the minimum uh, score for to pass the PFT? Right, right. right. I've been there when you've asked this yeah, question. Yeah. What, what, somebody always pipes up with the answer. Yeah, right? someone's but, always yeah. like, you know, and it's crazy numbers, right? They think that the standard is like over 200 points. And then when I give it to them and they're like, what? Yeah, that's a third class PFT. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the eighth standard. How do I raise the lowest standard inside my formation? Mm-hmm. Right. So each one of those Marines understands the Marine Corps standards. And inside that formation, there's a low, there's someone performing at the very lowest standard. Yeah. And you raise the entire standard by raising that low one. Makes right? sense. And so I, uh, maybe I try to be too careful, but I think it's our responsibility to constantly push it, to push the standard forward to who we want to be 10 years from today. And by hanging on so tight to who we were 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it's a problem. No, it's like push it forward, go run. (laughs) Well, Gunny Sites is going to karate chop my ass if I don't wrap this up. But um, I know she is. Also runs a great Instagram site. Rapid fire questions. Okay. The first one is everybody is all excited about bringing back the leather belts and the patches on the uniforms. Under consideration, do you have personal thoughts on it or do you want to pass? Not under consideration. Not under consideration. Not that, under everybody consideration. will be really excited for that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, asked and answered, right? Why does Seventh Marines, who all live in 29 Palms with a relatively low quality of life relative to units in Pendleton. Why is it that 7th Marines, UDPs, back and forth to Camp Schwab, which is also not one of the more luxurious places in the world, where the people who live on the ocean get to go out on the muse? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted it out, so there you go, right? Yeah, I was, I think, yeah, I was trying to think. It must have something to do with what's available, right? I never thought about it before, though. Yeah. You know? Why, why do, uh, do, why do the people who live on the beach get the good deployments and the people at 29 Palms go to Camp Schwab? Because you have Lake Bandini. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. 
Well, hey, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. I just think that when the Marines get to hear the real relatable you, it's inspiring. And you're inspiring, and I know you're doing great things in the Marine Corps, so I appreciate your time and, sure. uh, and doing this with me, and, and I hope it's not the last time we do it. So, Dave, I'll just end with this. Thank you. And um, I want to be good enough for you, right? Like, I want to deliver in changing the way that you live and how we look at your pay and how we look at all the other things that, that hopefully you're not paying attention to one day so you can focus on being the best Marine possible. And and I know that should something happen and we get called that we get to prove our skill set against somebody else, that will come. And when that day comes, I want your families to be taken care of so you are fully focused on what you must do to take care of yourself, your Marines, and come back home. And so how do we do all that? And it's complicated, uh, and it's lots of hard choices, and it's it's something that we work at every day. And there are people, organization today, that literally wake up thinking, how do we make your lives better, right? So don't think that that's not happening. I've seen it with my own eyes, how much people care about where you live and what your paychecks do or get to purchase. So you joined because you wanted to be part of something different, but you have to invest in that. It's a contract. It's a contract. Yeah. And you have a responsibility to the Marine Corps as well. And I will not stop and I won't rest until we have the ability to provide you a place where you can get your PT, your physical therapy, your chaplain time, your sleep therapist time, your whatever it is, all things human performance, like uh, we are not going to stop until we deliver that to you. Because frankly, that's what you deserve because you volunteered to be here and because you can vote your way out. And then for everyone else to invest into each other as a person, invest in Carlos, in John, and uh, Dave, invest in who they want to be after they take off their uniform. Because that's just as important. It's okay. It's it's okay to get to know each other. Because this is what makes it special. This is how you get remembered. Well, I think the, the listeners will appreciate that you understand the gravity of the globe and stars that rest between your rocker and your chevrons. And I appreciate your uh, your candor today and, and talking to everybody about some of the challenges. And, and wish you good luck with your testimony coming up. I know it will be your first. So yeah. uh, I'm sure you'll do fine. Yeah, if I can stand in front of some Lance Corporals and Corporals, I can stand in front of anyone <laughs> <laughs> right, right. else. Right, right. Uh, thanks, Dave. Great. Thanks again, Sergeant Major. Appreciate it. Hoorah.